When I was a kid, sometimes my mom would give me a little instruction and I would give her a little back talk. I don't know if that's ever happened in your house before. Like my mom would say, Ryan, go clean your room. And I would say, but mom, and I would have this really great articulate excuse. I'm good with words, you know, I'm persuasive. Uh, Ryan, eat your vegetables. No, mom, I don't want to eat my vegetables. My mom used to always say, don't backtalk me. And backtalking was like one of the heinous cardinal sins of the Heller household. It was bad. That was right up there with making C's on your report card, spilling soda on the carpet, and leaving dirty dishes on the counter. Don't talk back. So I was always taught to not talk back. Maybe you've been around some sassy people before. Maybe you have some sassy people in your home. Maybe you have some sassy people that you work with. Maybe you have some back talkers that are associates or friends, people that always have negative commentary or whatever. Nobody really likes a back talker. But there's one scenario, there's one situation in life where back talking is not only good, but it is necessary. It's necessary because we're doing battle with the evil one. And I'm starting a new series this week called Back Talker. We're talking about how to get sassy with the devil. Come on, somebody, say amen. Maybe you're going through some battles in your own life. You got a spiritual battle in your home, or maybe you got a spiritual battle at, at work, or spiritual battle maybe just even in your own heart and mind, and, you, and you're, you're waging war with the enemy. Man, we need some instruction. We need some, some insight from God about how to win and how to be spiritually victorious. God wants you to be spiritually victorious. I want you to be spiritually victorious. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking what it means to be sassy with Satan, what it means to back talk the devil, so to speak. I want you to open your Bibles today to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter four, Matthew chapter four. And while you're turning there, um, as a kid, I used to play on a championship soccer team called the Demons. And uh, we were a pretty good little soccer club. One, one day, my mom decided to go to the fabric store and she bought a, one of those little costume kits because my mom liked to sew. And she made a demon costume. And my little brother would wear the demon costume on the sidelines of the game. We got him a plastic pitchfork and it was one of those zip-up type things like, like jammies, you know? And it was, it was cute. And it was all red, and then there was like some black and white on the stomach, you know, and it had a tail with a point on the end of it. I'll never forget that tail. And then um, it, it had some little horns that were stuffed with cotton on the top. And whenever my brother wore that costume, our team would always win. I don't know what it was, man. It was something powerful about that. So when I think about the devil, when I think about demons, sometimes I think about my little brother three years younger than me, standing on the sideline. But you know, the devil is a much more sinister foe. He's not cuddly, and he's not cute. In fact, Scripture goes on and gives us a whole host of words and descriptions that describe 
the sinister schemes of the enemy. In the book of Genesis, uh, the devil is a serpent. In the gospel of John, the devil is a thief. Um, in, in another portion of scripture, he's an angel of light. In Peter, he's a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Um, today, in Matthew chapter 4, he's the tempter. Um, and, and so many other images all the way through scripture describe the devil as someone who is not cute, somebody who is not, um, uh, some, somebody that is not cuddly, but, but somebody who is, is, is a foe that is constantly opposing us. And uh, temptation is an enticement to get someone to go against the will of God. And this is what the devil is really good at. Uh, you can avoid temptation, uh, but uh, you can't avoid temptation, but you can overcome it. Uh, I used to think when I was younger, when I get older, I just won't be tempted as much. <laughs> but in reality, we'll be tempted our whole life. But God wants us to be victorious over those temptations, doesn't he? And I think there's two mistakes when it comes to this topic of the devil. One, one extreme is sometimes people see the devil everywhere. Like if I stub my toe, it's the devil. And that's one group. But there's also another group that completely discounts his role in the world and maybe never considers the role that the enemy has in our own daily existence. And both are wrong. Both are wrong. We don't have to see a devil uh, underneath every tree or behind every tree, but, but we should recognize that he is working and moving in the world that we live in. So let's talk about how to get sassy with Satan for a little bit. And uh, it begins here in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus uh, illustrates for us in this great bout with Satan. We're going to see that Jesus is tempted three times. And each time that he is tempted, he responds with God's word. So the first thing that we have to do to get sassy with Satan, to be spiritually victorious in the middle of those spiritual battles, is we have to know the word of God. We have to know God's word. Um, Jesus quotes the Bible, and I'll... I'll read several of those verses in just a moment. But, you know, everywhere we go, there's a lot of hot sports opinions when it comes to spiritual matters. Um, and a lot of times people are thinking more about their own opinions more than they are the word of God. And we will always fall prey to the schemes of the enemy if, if, we're, if we're relying on our own abilities or our own insights. I was talking with somebody the other day that said... You know, we don't go to church because we can't find a church that teaches what we believe. And then when they told me what they believed, then I realized why there were no churches. You know, see, we shouldn't be looking for a church that that teaches what we believe. We should be looking for a church that teaches the Bible and lifts up Jesus that we can get under. Amen. There's a big difference. There's a, that, that's a scheme of the enemy, though. Okay, The enemy wants you to think it's all about, well, what do I think? Or what's, what's my opinion? Or well, what's my two cents on the issue? You know? And if we're going to be spiritually victorious, we have to be anchored to this book right here. We have to know what it says. Now, um, I found a little thing this week on the Internet. It's an online ordination. 
And in less than five minutes, you can become an ordained minister. Now, I know a bunch of you guys have really been worried about that, you know. And on this particular website, the only requirements are that you're 18 years old, that you have a valid name, and that you have an address. See, like you're good to go. You can get ordained today. How about that? It's amazing. It's amazing. It really doesn't mean anything. If you're like, I don't even know what ordination is, that's okay too. But ordination is the process in which a church supports and encourages a young pastor as he's feeling the call of God into the ministry. So when I was ordained, I met with church leaders. They encouraged me, prayed with me, made sure that I had sound doctrine and believed things about Jesus and the Bible that were true and things like that. And it meant something. But today, you can be ordained, you can believe anything. In fact, you can be unordained, and you can have all kinds of hot sports opinions. People can put stuff on the internet, you know? The guy doesn't put, he's a 49-year-old guy that lives in his mom's basement, you know? But people read stuff. People read books. Oh, it's in print. It must be true. It's on the internet. It's got to be the gospel. But we have to have a, a greater filter, and our filter is this book right here. It's got to come right here through this word. If not, we're going to fall prey to the schemes of the evil one. Now, I got some bad news. The devil knows the Bible, okay? The devil knows the Bible. Demons in hell know the word of God. You just have to know it better. Check it out right here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. Then the tempter approached him and he said, If, if... You are the son of God. Tell these stones to become bread. And he answered, it is written, man may not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Okay, so Jesus has been tempting. Been, uh, he's been in the wilderness. He's been fasting for 40 days and nights. Jesus is tired. Jesus is worn out. The tempter comes to him and he says, if, if you are the son of God, like doubting, like, come on now, like, you know, like Jesus, you have to prove yourself to me. If you are the son of God, if, and he says, turn these stones to bread. Why is that appealing? Because Jesus is hungry. Have you ever fasted before? I mean, I've never done a 40-day fast, but I, I can tell you if I miss one meal, I can get crabby. Jesus is like, burgers and fries, please. And the devil's like, here you go, man. Just turn those, turn those stones into bread. Well, what's wrong with that? Jesus is saying here we don't live by our physical appetites. Just because our physical appetites want to do something, we don't do it. We live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, so the devil comes at Jesus with a seemingly spiritual argument, and Jesus responds with the word of God. He quotes the book of Deuter Deuteronomy in all three of these existences. So whenever we get into a tempting situation, we have to know God's word. We, we need to quote God's word. We need to memorize God's word. We need to go find our Bible and look at that verse because that's going to give us the strength and the energy and the rebuttal to that temptation. And then secondly, the devil doesn't give up easy. He comes at Jesus a second time. 
Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels order, orders concerning you and they will support you with their hands so that you do not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus told him, it is written, do not test the Lord your God. So he comes at Jesus a different way. He takes Jesus, he puts him on the pinnacle of the temple, which overlooks the Kidron Valley. It's a 450 foot drop. And he says, Jesus, why don't you do a backflip and a swan dive? Why don't you like show off for everybody and the angels will rush in and they'll grab you and it'll be really spectacular. And, and, and Jesus responds, don't test the Lord your God. Now here, he's speaking to the emotions. Um, earlier, he was talking about the physical, turn the stones into bread. Now he's talking about the emotional, show off, do what feels good, um, put on a show. And he actually quotes Psalm 91, but he leaves off the latter verse in Psalm 91, 11, and 12. He leaves out the phrase to guard you in all your ways. And this passage teaches that God provides his angels to watch over his people when they live in accordance with his will. And Satan claimed that the father would protect the son as he plummeted to the ground. But since such a stunt would not be within the will of God, the promise of divine protection would not apply. So Jesus says, listen, I don't, I'm not going to put God to the test. I'm not going to do it. He comes back again with another quote from the book of Deuteronomy. And he goes on in a third experience. And he has a similar response. He quotes the word of God. Colossians 2 says, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and through empty deceit based on human traditions, based on the elements of the world rather than on Christ. This is the apostle Paul. He says, guys, listen, you got to be careful what you think. You can't just believe everything. Everybody that says this is spiritual. Well, you know what? There's good spiritual and bad spiritual. There's good spirits. I mean, there's, there's bad spirits. There's the Holy Spirit. They're different. It's not the same. We have to hear the word of God. We got to know what it is. I was looking on Facebook this week. Um, we had a lady that was a member of our church a number of years ago, a very active member of our church. She served every week. She loved to give. Um, she, she was here all the time. She was in Bible study, all this stuff. I look at Facebook. She's got a big snake around her neck. And she's now an animal shaman. And then I saw another post that she's totally into witchcraft. She's a witch. She was recruiting people on Facebook to be witches. And I'm like, how in the world does that happen? Now, I'm not telling you today, if you don't read the Bible, you're going to become a witch. I'm not telling you that. But here's what I am telling you. Well-meaning, sincere, good-intending people can get confused. It's easy to do it. And we can start listening to the lies and the schemes of the evil one. That's why we have to know this book. Man, we got to study the word. We got to meditate on the word. We have to know the word. We, we have to practice the word. If you really want to know the Bible, do what it says. You'll really learn it. And this is how we defeat the schemes of the evil one. Secondly, um, not only just the word of God, 
but the Spirit of God. Okay, now notice this. We have to get filled with the Holy Spirit to fight temptation, okay? And right before Jesus enters into the wilderness experience where he is tempted by Satan, he has an amazing experience with God. In Matthew chapter 3, he is baptized. The Spirit of God descends on him in the form of a dove. I mean, it's a mountaintop experience. It's awesome. Jesus is feeling great. He's about to begin his public ministry. And then uh, it says there in uh, verse 16, when, uh, when Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and it came down on him. And then in Luke's gospel, he talks about the same story in a different place. He says, then Jesus left the, the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Jesus is now full of the Holy Spirit. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God's presence in our life that gives us spiritual authority and power. The Holy Spirit will give you wisdom when you need to know which, which decision to make. The Holy Spirit will give you strength when you feel like you have none. The Holy Spirit will give you insight into a particular situation when you need to know certain things. The Holy Spirit is what the Bible calls the helper. He's also called the comforter. He comforts us in those, those moments of adversity. And Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's a good thing Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit because he's about to receive some major temptation that are coming at, that's coming his way. And Ephesians 5.18 reminds us that we are to be filled with the Spirit. In fact, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. We have to continually be filled with the Spirit. We don't get filled with the Spirit one time. We have to continue to drink just as an alcoholic, <clears throat> just as an alcoholic has to continue to drink to be drunk, you have to continue to drink to be full of the Holy Spirit. So we, we, we got to get filled up, man. We need the Holy Spirit running out our ears, amen? I mean, that's how we're going to fight temptation. We got to have the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit is a great is a great companion. I'm telling you, you cannot win spiritual battles if you're not relying on the Spirit to work within you. That's, that's one of the distinguishing marks of being a Christian is you have the power of the Holy Spirit. Too many people are settling for a natural life. But if you're a Christian, you want a supernatural life. Come on, somebody. Do you want to live a natural life? Or do you want to live a supercharged life? One that is empowered by God. Oh, that's what we need. We need the power of the Holy Spirit within us. So how do we stay full of the Spirit? We confess our sins. Because when we sin, the Spirit is grieved. The Spirit kind of shrivels up within us, you know, when, when we sin. And, and He doesn't have control over us. As, as you know, not to the point that he would like to when sin is in our life. So, so we confess sin. In fact, Bill Bright, the president and the founder of uh, Campus Crusade, has a great analogy. He says, he says that we have to, to spiritually learn to breathe. We exhale. We exhale by confessing sins. We inhale by receiving the power of the Spirit. 
So, so we're exhaling and we're inhaling and we're obeying the Holy Spirit. And if we want to be filled with the Spirit, we got to do what the Spirit says. When the Spirit whispers in your ear, when the Spirit prompts you to do something, maybe you felt prompted to help somebody or to say something or to, to, to do something that's spiritual, that's probably a prompting of the Holy Spirit. You may not have even realize that was the Holy Spirit. But it was the Spirit. <clears throat> and we walk in the Spirit, which is the true test of the Holy Spirit. So how do we... How do we win these battles, man? We got to have the word of God. We got to have the spirit of God living within us. And uh, finally, or thirdly, we got to understand the schemes of the enemy. Understand the schemes of the enemy. Now, he is a schemer. When does, think about this. When does the devil come after Jesus? When he's weak. When he's weak. Jesus is fasting, he's alone, he's tired, he's worn out. Jesus is vulnerable. That's one of the schemes of the enemy. He looks to find individuals that are vulnerable. He preys on our weaknesses. Look at it there in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So Jesus is at the beginning of his public ministry. He's trying to take Jesus out at the beginning. And uh, he is physically weak. He's hungry. He's tired. In fact, um, the devil looks for people that are hungry, isolated, and tired. I mean, that, that's the recipe right there. Hungry, isolated, and tired. See, when we live alone, we have no friends or family that are close to us. We can live a life full of secrecy. Isolated. That's why God has given us the local church so that we're not anonymous. God's given us a family to be a part of, to be involved in. So we're not isolated. Hungry. When we're physically unwell, and we're in need of food. We're just, we don't have the strength to fight back. Maybe you felt so tempted and you're like, I don't have the strength. You were hungry. You were isolated. You were tired. You were tired. And the devil's a schemer, man. He's looking for you. He's looking to find you in that, in that situation. Now, many of you know that <clears throat> when I'm not here at the church, that I love to coach youth basketball. I've told you about that. I've entered into retirement, Okay. I've retired from youth basketball coaching. I'm making an announcement today. I've retired. But a few years ago, I was coaching the fifth grade boys, and our team wasn't that good that year, and we were going into the postseason tournament. I was like, man, we got to do something. What do I need to do? What do I need to do? I said, I have a video camera. I'm going to go video two of the top teams as they play on an off weekend. I was like, I don't think that's against the rules. But I definitely don't want to be seen by the other coaches. So I dressed up in one of the team's colors. Our team colors were purple. Theirs were green. So I wore green. I wore shades. I put a hat on. I had to pull down on my head. I got up into the corner of the gym. I got my video camera rocking. I even fake cheered for the other team. Kind of act like I was in it. 
Shortly after the game, I stuck the camera in my jacket, slipped out the back door. Nobody saw me. I went home. I began to carefully review this game. I began to see the schemes of the other team. I began to write notes down. I began to see their proclivities on offense and defense. Then I got one of my friends from Edge Church, who was a former high school basketball coach, to meet with me and review film. And we unlocked all the schemes. Oh, it was awesome. It was fantastic. It was amazing. It was amazing. I'm telling you, watching film doesn't lie. You know, the devil is watching film on you. Do you know that? The devil's got some film on you. He knows when you're weak. But I got some other, I got some really good news though. We got some film on him. Don't we? It's right here. We got several thousand years of his schemes recorded right here. But I think we also ought to watch some film on ourselves because the film doesn't lie. And when we look at the film of ourselves, we can see where we're weak. We can see where we need a little work, where we need God to strengthen us and empower us and enable us and help us. But when we're hungry and when we're tired and we're isolated, man, we're so susceptible and vulnerable. We need to scout it out, don't we? The enemy has schemes. He has X's and O's. He has plays that he runs. He's the one that puts thoughts in your mind like, you can't do that. You're a failure. You messed up the last time. Why do you think you could do it again? You could never achieve that. You could never do that for the Lord. You you could never be that kind of person. Schemes, schemes. And when those schemes come our way, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the strength of the word of God to direct us. Finally, we got to believe that we will overcome. Believe you will overcome. Now, you're going to be spiritually victorious. I I believe that today. Because you know why? James 4, 7 says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Have you ever felt like you were so into temptation that you're like, I can't get out of this thing? I guess I have to sin. You know, I got no other choice. Boys will be boys. You know, I'm a man. I have to sin. I'm a woman. I have to sin. I'm old. I have to sin. I'm young. I have to sin. I'm I'm whatever. And we kind of have all these rationales in our mind. But listen, if you'll resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Jesus resisted the devil. The devil came at him three times. Jesus resisted, and guess what? He left. So hang in there, man. Hang in there. Don't don't believe for one second that you're going to fail. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says that God's going to give us a way out. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. Isn't that beautiful? I was watching some college football yesterday. Anybody watching some college football? By the way, can I brag for a minute? 
The Texas A&M Aggies put the hurt on the Auburn Tigers. Oh, it was great. I almost wore my maroon suit again. I was like, I can't do that two times in a month. I mean, we did beat Alabama a couple weeks ago, and, you know, I was thinking about it. But anyway, but what I noticed, I watched several games. The team that had the most confidence won most of the games. You know how you know a good team? The quarterback throws an interception, and he doesn't hang his head down and do this. He sticks his chin up, and he's like, all right, we'll get it next time. The team's, you know, patting him on the butt and pitting him on the helmet and whatever. Let's go. We got this. Confidence, right? The other team makes a big play. They don't lay down. Confidence. Confidence is huge. And I think the same is true in the spiritual arena. For you to be victorious over all the temptations coming at you, If you have a little spiritual swagger in your step and you believe that if you resist the devil, he will flee from you and you believe that God's going to provide that way out, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it's going to put a little little spring in your step. You're going to be a little more confident today. So I don't want you to be afraid of the devil. I just want you to understand who he is. I want you to recognize his proclivities So that you can defeat him. But he is a foe. He is someone that will be defeated. And Matthew chapter 4 verse 11 wraps this whole text up. It says, then the devil left him and angels came and began to serve him. Isn't that beautiful? Angels are ministering spirits. God uses angels to help us when we're discouraged, when we're down. Maybe God's sending some angels to minister to your heart today. Maybe God has sent angels to help you in that time of need. Jesus is absolutely worn out. Now, Jesus was tired, and he was hungry, and then he just had a huge bout with the devil. Come on now. But the good news is the angels came, and they began to serve him. God knows what your limit is. God knows what your capabilities are, and God is going to minister to you. James 1.12 says you'll be blessed when you stand up under temptation. Blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Hey man, when you say no to temptation, God's gonna reward you and bless you. Isn't that beautiful? You can do it. Come on somebody, I want you to be, I want you to be confident today. I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to look at the temptations you're going through today With a soberness, but also with a confidence. God's going to get me through this, man. I got the power of the Holy Spirit. I got the word of God. Let me just throw in another one. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father praying for you. Okay? So see, you don't have time to be discouraged or defeated. We just need to use the tools that God has given to us so that we can be spiritually victorious and so we can be a back talker. So church, it's time to get sassy. Let's get sassy with the devil. The next time that that thought comes through your mind, you say, oh, no, 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 no. You can put your hand on your hip. Be sassy. Be a back talker. Tell him no. God's going to do something great. You're going to be victorious. 
You're going to win the spiritual battles that are before you. Know the word of God. Get filled with the spirit. Understand his schemes and believe that you will overcome. It's going to be great. Let's pray together.